0: morning, church. It's a blessing to be home uh, for Lisa and I. And, uh, you know, it reminded me this morning, I was uh, driving in and praying about this morning, about our time together, and um, I was trying to get my throat cleared. Anybody else having sinus, uh, crud issues? Oh, wow. You realize that we live in a place not fit for human habitation. You do realize that, right? I love Louisiana. I spent my whole life here. But at the same time, I realize now in my travels that we shouldn't be living here. (laughs) Everything wants to hurt you. Uh, You stay sick all the time, right? So that means we're either one or two things. We're either really tough or really dumb (laughs) or maybe a combination of both. I was thinking about Bill Smith uh, this morning when I was... Trying to get my airways clear. Bill had an eternal clearing of the airways uh, to be able to teach. And I thought to myself that, um, you know, you wind up being like your mentors in so many different ways. And it allowed me to reflect on how blessed I am to have such great mentors. Uh, We have been blessed, haven't we, Mike? I mean, to know what we know, to be impacted by the gospel, and to continue to be able to do that everywhere we go. I was talking to Mindy and She's now speaking around the country, and I just keep thinking about how God just keeps sending us out, you know, to do His will uh, and to do what He wants us to do. What a blessing. Uh, Today, we're in uh, 1 Kings 1 and 2, uh, has been the series uh, that Mike and Trent have been preaching, Uh, and basically, they call it What to Do When There's Nothing Left to Do, Uh, and uh, today is is really just kind of one thought and one verse, but it really was a great journey for me this week, to be able to sort of look at David's life as he looked at his own life. This is a point of transition, and uh, all of us have been through many of those. Uh, The ultimate transition is when you're about to leave the earth, and that's the setting uh, for him sort of, you know, letting Solomon know what he needs to do uh, and trying to train him and prepare him uh, to be the king of Israel. And it's interesting because David had a lot to reflect on. uh, A lot of good and a lot of bad. And so it kind of reminded me, this whole text, especially in 1 Kings 2, of the godfather for some reason. Like, you know, you got Don Corleone and he's telling Michael, because, you know, most of this chapter, he's basically, David's telling Solomon who he needs to whack to take care of the family business, right? So it reminded me of that. And then all of a sudden... There was this verse in there, uh, in verse 7, where David has a reflective moment uh, of something really good in his life. And so I could totally relate to that because you look at your own life at different points of transition and you look back and you see so many regrets and so so many things you would have done differently. And sometimes it's hard just to look back and see so many good things that God did in your life or someone may have done for you. So verse 2, I mean, verse 7 says this, 1 Kings 2, 7. He's talking to Solomon, and he's, again, watch that one, kill that one, don't let that one live, that one's trouble. And then he says, but show kindness to the sons of Barziliah in Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Now, it's just one moment uh, of kindness, but you see that a lot throughout David's life. Again, he's like a, a dichotomy, like all of us, I guess, conflicted, right? He was a fierce warrior. You think about it, when David, in 1 Samuel, when David is first called upon for a secret anointing that he would be the king of Israel, you may not realize this, but he was only somewhere between 10 and 12 years old. You know, he wasn't even there and present. He was out watching the sheep while all the older brothers came in and thought they were the one. Ten or twelve years old. And told, you will be the king of Israel. Now, what what helped me realize about David is that, I mean, what kind of confidence would that inspire in him? He knows that God says, you're the guy. And he knows it from an early age. Because when you begin to follow his life from that point forward, especially when he goes up against Goliath, which, by the way... Now he's only like 15 or 16 years old. And he marches right into a setting where everybody is fearful. And he says, who is this guy talking about my God? We'll take him out because this battle belongs to the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. So there's a, there's a brashness and a confidence about him, But most of it is built in the fact that he knows that God can do anything. And so he learns that at such an early age, he was a still a teenager Whenever, you know, Saul was trying to set him up to, to get killed. And so he's sending down the uh, the Philistines and he says, you know, and this is graphic, but this is exactly what happened. He said, if it, anybody will bring me back a hundred foreskins of ph- Philistines, which means you kill them, then he'll be the greatest man in the kingdom. So David goes down and he doesn't bring back a hundred. He brings back 200. Double for good measure. The man was fierce, but the man was also brutal and that of course marked his life. He wanted to build a temple of worship and praise for the almighty. You know what God told him? Too much blood on your hands. I'll let your son do it but not you. That's conflicting because he believed in God and he had faith and yet at the same time he was brutal. He was also tender. He was a poet. He was a musician. He he was. You read the Psalms, and you see the great some of what we sang this morning. I mean, a great man of reflection and praise. Like many of us, he had a duality about him. And then, of course, there was the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Around his mid-fifties, he has a lapse in who he was and what his purpose was. It was his midlife crisis, I suppose, is what we would call it today. He has an affair with another man's wife. She gets pregnant. There's a intrigue and cover up, things that, I mean, wouldn't even, it would be blush for TMZ at what happened. The king of Israel has now succumbed to being just like the heathens that he'd been killing all those years. It was terrible. And he didn't see it in himself. And what happened as a result of that is his family was in complete anarchy. And I believe that probably the seeds were always there because in any family there's always seeds that can go one way or the other. But when this two or three year period in David's life, when that happened, it seemed like everything spun out of control after that. He mentions Absalom here in, in 1 Kings 2.7. I mean, that was just the first of many of his sons that basically tried to topple him and become king themselves. It was tragic. Civil War. And it was at this time of the Civil War, when Absalom was trying to take over the king, that he ran into this elderly man. The Bible says he was about 80 years old. And David's on the run. He's got people with him. He can't feed them. He's kicked out of Jerusalem by his own son. And this man showed him kindness without wanting anything in return. In fact, David offered... He said, come back with me. Once he took back over, he said, come back and you can be here in my court and you can be in the the castle with me. And the, the older man said, I got all I need. I did this because God directed me to. Kindness. And David remembered that even on his deathbed. So it got me to thinking about my own life and my own reflection. And that's what I want to share with you today is how you live Do you live in such a way that it would be easy for a guy like Mike or me or Trent or Paul to preach your funeral? Would it be easy? Would we look forward to it? Because it would be a time of celebration and be able to reflect on who you are and what you stood for. Because I got to tell you, you know, I preached here a long time and I did a lot of funerals. Most of them I look forward to. Some of them I didn't. I was a pro. I knew how to, you know, provide comfort to families, which was my main job. Bill Smith taught me that. But it wasn't easy because of the way we live. I thought about Miss Willa, whose funeral was yesterday, and Paul had the privilege of being able to preach. And I asked him this morning, I said, did you enjoy it? He said, I loved it. I love me some Miss Willa. She struggled with anger. I spent a lot of time. We counseled a lot in this building, I can tell you that. But you know what? Her honesty and her love and that laugh. What a great sister. I can't wait to see her again. So i got three questions for you this morning for you to ask yourself. And they kind of come out of the life of David. And it begins, the first one is, am I kind? It was a moment of kindness that impacted David so much he would pass it on to Solomon. So I thought that's a good place to start. Am I a kind person? Now I'm going to tell you, it's not natural to be kind. It's natural to be selfish. That's the natural way. That's the human way. Lisa and I spend a, a lot of time on airplanes now in, in airports. And it's a, it's a great way to view humanity in a stressful situation. And I got to tell you right now, the other day, it just, I, 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 we got off a of plane. I looked at Lisa, I said, what is the percentage of people that we see on airplanes that are kind versus unkind? I mean, it just struck me because it, and I said, what do you think? I said, is it more than half or unkind? She said, oh, it's way more than half. It's, I could, you can't believe it. And, and it's something you might not notice if you didn't do it very often, but if you have an opportunity to view humanity in a stressful situation, I've seen people chew out the gate agent, the flight attendant, someone else because you're waiting, eye rolls, and oh, just, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. And I think, man, people are so unkind. And look, every, and then now it begins to affect the people that work for the airlines then they get a bad attitude because they get reamed out all the time. The only people that are chirpy are the pilots, and that's because they're in the front. Nobody's talking to them. It's true. See, when you're born into this world, you need food, you need to be changed, and you need attention. I mean, let's face it. It's all about you. And unless someone comes along and trains you and teaches you something different, and brings discipline into your life, you take that same attitude and live it your entire life. It's about me. I see it every day. So kindness is not natural. And somebody said, well, this is just part of their personality. No, it's more than that. Kindness is a divine quality of the Almighty God. And it's not an option. I looked, because I did quite a bit of study this week, and I thought, I've got to find an option where you can be unkind. I couldn't find one. Not an option. Are you kind? Here's what Paul said, Ephesians 2, verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's the point where you became a Christian. You were raised up Christ is in heaven mediating for you and for me, and he says we are right there with him. Why, Paul? In order that in the coming ages, that would be all the way down the line to right here today at WFR, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That's our purpose. We are to show the grace of God. What does that look like, Al? Expressed in his kindness to us, In Christ Jesus. You are never reflecting Jesus Christ more than when you are kind to other people. According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It is from God. So you say, well, I'm going to work on being kind. Work on being more like Christ. Kindness will come. That's the point. He told the Colossians in chapter 3 verse 12... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. What does that mean? That means just like your garments that you wear. That means every day you get up. I don't know about you. I get up, I put my clothes on before I go out. Anything else is obscene. Especially the older we get, right? Cover up. Clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, And patience. That sounds like another list, doesn't it? The fruit of the Spirit. When I am unkind, I am not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to show what He's made of. That's me. That's on me. Do nothing, Paul said in Philippians 2, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So, what I'm witnessing in airports and airplanes in the not-so-friendly skies all over America is people that obviously don't understand who God is and why He sent His Son to die for us. What I have to watch is I become that same person too. I roll my eyes. I'm waiting on this person to get out of my way. And you start fighting that because you're becoming part of that flawed system. That's what happens. And you forget that you are a son of God to put here to make a difference in settings like that. To show kindness, even in the simplest of things. That's what we're called to. Am I kind? Now, I've got to tell you, if you're unkind and you're here today and you're listening, you're not going to be able to ask yourself, because you're probably not going to realize it in yourself. You're going to have to ask someone you trust to tell you the truth. That's usually a spouse, by the way. Good place to start. Oh, I'm not asking that question. Okay. I'm just reporting here. Am I kind? Number two, second question. And by the way, this question helps you define the first one. Am I humble? Because if you're not humble, you won't ask the first question. Am I humble? Solomon must have learned a lot from dear old dad about the power of humility, because he wrote this in Proverbs 22. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Solomon became a wise man because he understood that you have to fear the Lord. See, that's what changes us. When we humble ourselves before God, we have the capacity and the ability to be changed in any area, at any time. It's never too late. James would say, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Lisa and I are working on a new book about forgiveness, and we're very excited about it. Working with Focus on the Family is just a great blessing and honor. When we first started pitching the book. You know, I kind of went through the channels that I'd done on other projects, and not realizing it, but I had decided that I was going to get this book published. I didn't ask the Almighty. I didn't ask him exactly what route I should go. I just went back through my old channels. I got my literary agent, I got this, I got that, and I start working through rejection, 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 rejection. And I'm getting madder by the minute because I'm, sa- I'm thinking to myself, and I say it out loud to Lisa, these people have made a gazillion dollars off of us and the family, and now they want, this is such an important book and topic, and now we can't even get it published? I mean, I'm getting hot. 'Cause it was about me. I took all my email rejections and I sent them out to a friend of mine that focused on the family, and I said, Tell me what I need to do. See, finally I was at the end of my rope. Because I couldn't get it accomplished. I sent it to him, I said, Tell me what I need to do to get this book published. I mean, I am frustrated. So he sent me back some ideas and they were good. And then he said, Can you jump on a call? And I said, Sure. He calls me, he says, We'd love to publish your book. I was like, "Focus on the family wants to publish my book." I said, do "Y'all even? I didn't even know you did that." He said, "Yeah, we do a few titles every year. This is a great topic. We'd love to work with you on When I hung up that phone, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. I said, "I have been trying to do this without ever asking the Almighty in my own pride. Rejection, rejection, rejection." He says, Humble yourself, son, and you'll get a great blessing. We never get too old to realize that pride kills and rejects. Am I kind? Am I humble? And then the third question today, am I faithful? Because again, without faithfulness, you'll never understand humility and you'll never get to kindness. Am I faithful? When Jesus in Matthew 25 was giving them a parable about talents and abilities and what he gives them and he talks about it he used money in the in the scenario but it could be anything right He says when God gives you something he expects you to do something with it That's the idea of faithfulness because it's a gift from God And he said in Matthew 25:23 in the story the master replies well done Good and what? Faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Aren't you looking forward to hearing that from Almighty God? Well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, you, I gave you a little. I maybe gave you a lot. And you continue to be faithful in that. Come and share in eternal happiness. We are going to have the time of your life, and it's never going to end. That's what faithfulness does. It trusts in God more than anything else. It trusts in God more than myself. And Lord knows we need that. It trusts in God more than trust in your family or your spouse. It's trusting in God more than my status. It's another big thing with air Travel, by the way. you got to get that status. Trusting God more than my bank account, my 401K, my future on earth, my possessions. Way more than that. I've been in some places in the world where people didn't have two pennies to rub together. But they were loving, faithful servants of the Almighty. And they will be in heaven where then all riches or for everyone, not just here. i got to trust God more than that. Trusting God more than my happiness or my circumstance. Are you faithful? Are you humble? And are you kind? David looked back over his life, and I'm sure from listening to those final words, there's a lot he wished he could have done different. I don't know that a sermon like this would affect me as much as a younger man as it is an older man. But I look back and I see so many ways that God shaped me and moved me. And here's the beautiful thing, brothers, sisters. It's never too late. It's never too late to get it right. We, um, we used to do a deal every quarter when the show was going where Make-A-Wish kids would come. Their wish was to meet our family. Now, the first time that happened, i got to tell you, it was overwhelming. Five or six terminal children and their families come in, and they're crying tears of joy because they're getting to see Uncle Cy, you know, or Willie, or somebody in the family, somebody they love to watch. It was overwhelming for us. Humbling like you wouldn't believe. Someone would want to see you before they go, a kid who's... Battling cancer. So we got together after that first time we said, you know what, well, we're gonna whew, we have going to we got to give them a duck dynasty experience, not all weepy, you because know, it was hard for us. So about second year we were doing this, kids come in, they're excited, their family. There was a big group that came in, this particular one, and there was a there was a guy in a wheelchair, but he was older. I'd never, he was in his 20s, and I'd never seen one that's, usually they're young kids or teenagers. So I didn't even know he was a make a wish. I thought he was just someone's family, but he was in a wheelchair. He only had one leg, one arm was not working. And so then I noticed that he was one of the make a wish kids, even though he wasn't a kid. So the girl that was with him was taking care of him. She came over and she said, Is Mr. Phil going to be here today? And I said, I'm so sorry Dad wasn't able to make it to this one. And she said, oh, she said, well, you know, my friend Wes wanted to talk to him about spiritual things. So, of course, I'm thinking, wow, I spent most of my years the preacher. I mean, you know, I think I could talk to you about spiritual things, right? <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Pride, right? So I said, you know what? I said, I would love to talk to Wes. Would, would he talk to me and she said well, uh, yeah I think he would so I got their plans found out what they were doing they were staying in the town an extra day so they met me here and we sat down out there in that foyer and so Wes began to tell me about his life and it was not good the reason that one of the main reasons he was in the shape he was in is because of the way he lived he destroyed his kidneys and liver and he's, he was dying and he said you know I just don't want to go to hell and I know that's where i go So I told him about Jesus and what he did for him and that he died for him and that he raised for him and that he could be made whole in eternity, glorified flesh without disease, that all his mistakes could be taken away, that he could be forgiven, that Jesus would come back for him. I said, "How's that sound, Wes? Oh, man, Mr. Allen, that sounds really good. I said, well, look, do you believe that story? I do. That's one of the reasons why I came here. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to meet your family. I knew y'all could tell me what I needed to do. I said, well, look, you know, we've had a couple of times where we had people we had to carry into the baptistry, but there's some water down there. You want to bury that that old person? Because you're going to be changed. He said, "I, I, I want to. So I went upstairs and I found Jake Stevens, I remember, I think Bromley, somebody else. And we came down here. We had to carry him into that baptistry. And we had to cover up, you know, certain things and, you know, wires and renew. He came here to find out about Christ. And I told him when he was leaving, I said, look, Wes, here's the deal. I'm going to be praying that God's going to give you a lot of time. They're saying weeks, right? Yep. I said, but God may spare you and give you more time. But here's what you have to do. Whatever time you have left, whether it's days, weeks, months, or if the Almighty gives you years, you have to be this new creation. You can't go back to the old west. His aunt told us he had alienated every relationship in his life. This girl who was with him was his ex-girlfriend, they had a child together, but she had left him because he was such a bad person. But out of her kindness, she decided she'd come back and take care of him until he died, which impressed me to no end. So Wes gets back to Pennsylvania. That's where he was from. And his aunt sends a note to Beverly Dobbs, who had kind of been the intermediary person talking to him. And she said, well, Wes got back, but and I'm so grateful that you guys talked to him, but you know, he's still just, he's holding on to bitterness. You know, he's alienated from his mom, his sister, everybody in his life. And he still hadn't changed. He still won't let him in. And now they're saying, we're down to days. So we, Beverly sent that to me and we prayed about it together. I sent him a note and reminded him of the conversation we had had. Two days later, we get a note back. We're down to the final days, and man, do I have a praise report for you. Wes finally broke, invited all of his family in, and got right. You see, then it was living in him. Then he understood what faithfulness was. Two days later, he died. But he died doing exactly what God wanted him to do, to make a difference in the lives of people. That's what we're called to do. But to do that, we're going to have to be faithful and humble and we're going to have to be kind. And if you're not, and if you're willing to look inside and see that, then I'm challenging you today to not leave here that way, to change. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, the gospel we've been talking about, that Randy talked about at communion, today is a good day to become new. You see, you never understand faithfulness until first you act on your faith. You do something. You allow God to do what he does best. So if you have a need today or something you want to share, the beautiful thing about a Forever family is we're here for each other. So whatever that need is, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?